We are glad to share our journey with you this morning as we anticipate becoming members among you in this congregation. We want to share briefly with you who we are as we join you as seekers on the way. So how did we get here? Why are we here this morning to join this particular community of faith? For me, Pastor Todd said it well a few Sundays ago when he asked in his sermon, why do we get out of bed on a Sunday morning, drive by houses while others are still sleeping? Not because we are better than others, but because we are yearning for something. That's why I am here today. I am yearning for something that I can't always say what it even is. But here in this place, my yearning is met to experience what the Celtics call as a thin place, a place where heaven and earth meet and come together, a closeness, we sometimes say, between heaven and earth. I am a seeker a broken human who desires to be an active follower of Jesus. Mim said it well, but I'd like to add a word about why I'm here today. Over the years, I've attended 11 churches for some extended time, most of them as pastor in the congregation. Now at age 82, I'm no longer assigned a church by virtue of an office, but can simply go to worship where I wish, where I feel nourished in the worship and community of God's people. When we moved here to Landis Homes, people would sometimes ask where we're going to church. And Mim would sometimes say in jest, so you think we still go to church? (laughs) Partly this was jest, but part of it was also that we no longer feel the obligation to go to church we can now choose where we want to go and what it is like to experience church there. As former pastors, we quickly size up a congregation, and we, to be honest, don't, we know more quickly where we don't want to go. But sometimes in the worship, sometime for me here, the worship, the preaching, and the community life in this congregation drew me in. I sense one does not need to posture in this church but can be themselves. So I desire to make this my 12th church and hope it's my last. First, a brief word about the title of this multi-voice sermon. A few years ago, uh, I came across this small book uh, by Gordon Cosby. I'm sure many of you, I see some people shaking their heads, many of you have heard of Church of the Savior in Washington, D.C., Gordon Cosby, the author of this book, was the founding pastor of this congregation for 62 years. We are told that he occasionally used this phrase, seized by the power of a great affection, to describe a person who was deeply touched by God. This book touched us in a very deep way in both our lives. It seems like an apt way to describe our spiritual journey. It shifts the conversation from a transactional salvation or correct doctrine Mm -hmm. 
to a spiritual life grounded in God's love and grace, lived out in community in the world. We were and we are seized by God's great affection for us and for this world. I'm aware of how I was seized by God's great affection the first Sunday that we attended this congregation here at East Chestnut Street about a year ago. As I sat among you uh, and experienced the quietness of this place and the pre-service music, I, I became aware that my eyes were filling with tears. And I was seized by what I call the mysterious Holy One that was in our midst. Two years ago, Mem and I were asked to lead a retreat for pastors and spouses in Ohio, and we referenced this book from Cosby. These pastors, too, seem to catch the depth and power of this phrase. We hope you too catch that sense of what it means to be seized by a God of absolute love Mm -hmm. toward all of us and toward our world. The story from Luke 7, which we just heard as Sue read it, about the woman who interrupted the dinner party that Simon the Pharisee was holding for Jesus is a favorite passage or story in the scriptures for me. I'm deeply touched by this woman's courage her courage to invite herself into a place where she knew that she was going to be rejected and judged. I applaud that courage. As a youth, I was shy with an identity of low self-esteem. I went to Washington, D.C. to a V.S. summer servanthood work camp with some of my friends. (coughs) And in that small group setting, each morning there was a time of Bible study and prayer. And I wanted so badly to tell others of my struggles, but I, shucks, I didn't have the courage, Jim. So guess what I did? I told them that I have this friend who has these struggles. Not, not daring to say that it was me, and I asked for prayer for my friend. And in that vicarious prayer, I was seized by a power that I hadn't experienced before and a warm sense that I, Miriam Book, am a beloved daughter of God. And so like This woman in Luke 9, I experienced in Jesus for the first time this beautiful sense of love and acceptance. I like this story also because of the way Jesus commended the woman's love that she showed out of her desperation. She risked showing her love for Jesus by breaking all the rules of social contact. Instead of being proper and protecting her reputation, as I'm inclined to do, she acted out her gratitude for the acceptance that she received from Jesus. Many times I have wished I could be less calculating and more spontaneous in expressing my gratitude for the grace God has offered to me. Jesus' commendation of her spontaneity in expressing her love is good news to me. My baptism at age 13 was important, but it did not mark any deep kind of spiritual experience for me. 
The VS work camp that I just talked about was one vital marker of growth for me when I experienced Jesus as a friend and as a companion. Another step happened 20 years later while studying theology in London, England. There, for the first time, I experienced a sense of holy reverence for a God of of mystery, a God of power. And in the library, I remember I gazed up high at a stained glass window with the words, Woe unto me if I preach not the gospel. Now today, I live in the ebb and flow of this personal relationship with Jesus, along with the awesomeness of God, which is beyond my explanation. For me, I grew up also with the right words about God and what it means to follow Jesus. I was baptized at age 11, but my heart and mind remained bound by a certain perfectionism. It wasn't until my senior year in seminary at Goshen, Indiana, that I was first seized by the power of a God of great affection. In a time of deep anxiety, I sought out a campus pastor for help, and Harold Harold related to me with a grace like I had never experienced before. And in that seizing, I was freed to begin to receive God's grace and acceptance rather than depend on my own human efforts. And, you know, I wish I could say that that was kind of a seizing that made the difference the rest of my life. The reality is it's been a life journey for me of being seized again and again by that marvelous love of God. Let us uh, back up a little bit and tell you about ourselves. I am the youngest of six children born to Harold and Cora Book. I've been told that when I was born... Uh, My father was late to the Locust Grove Mennonite School Board meeting. So when Dad entered the meeting and told why he was late, the board chair said, Harold, the Bible is still true. Of the making of books, there is no end. (laughs) That's that story. That story has followed me, Jim, all my life. So... My life was rooted uh, on a dairy farm where I grew up, just a few miles east of Lancaster. And I, I have pondered, as I think back on those years on the farm, where I drove tractor as a child and helped a cow who was trying to birth a calf, uh, the similarities of farming and pastoring now that I am an ordained pastor. It's, it's these themes of the rhythms of life, death and birth, the dependence on God, uh, the nurture and tending of cattle and crops. It's, it's not unlike pastoral care of people. My father was ordained to Paradise Mennonite Church as a pastor when I was age 10. And I'm struck that way back then, my mother would say when we were ordained, because she was so fully involved in his pastoring. I'm the third oldest of nine, born to John and Edith Lapp. 
I was born in Lansdale, Pennsylvania, east of here, and at birth weighed 11 pounds, 4 ounces, and the doctor who delivered me told my mother, what a house. (laughs) My father was ordained as a Mennonite bishop and pastor before I was born. He raised chickens and turkeys to support the family and, as he said, to keep his sons busy. Since he traveled a lot, my mother managed our home often in the garden and even the chickens and turkeys when dad was away. The church was the center of our life and resulted in all of my siblings being deeply invested in the institutions and mission of the church in one way or another. When I was in sixth or seventh grade in the Mennonite school that I attended, a teacher asked me one day at recess, I don't know why, but she asked me who I thought was the most important leader in the Mennonite church, and I said, Harold Bender. I replied that way because church leaders and Anabaptist teachings were household topics in our home. Our father was a leader in issues related to conscientious objection to war, and so we listened, overheard many, many conversations as he helped Mennonite young men during Second World War and following to complete their selective service questionnaires. We listened so much that Dad said, when we reached 18, we'd have to fill our own questionnaires out. And growing up, I was heavily influenced by overseas missionaries speaking in our Lancaster Conference congregation. With limited opportunities in the Church for Women to serve in leadership, I envisioned that I might become a missionary. At one point, I was nominated to become youth pastor in our congregation, but two pastors who succeeded my father as pastor visited me and told me that women were not permitted in such a role. Sometime later, I changed churches to a place where the voice of women was not silenced. And I was even invited to preach in congregations that were beginning to be open to hearing women preach. Two experiences were formative for me. One was attending a women's conference at Fuller Seminary in Pasadena, California, where I found empowerment in observing other women preach and teach and lead with confidence and courage. The second was working in the overseas office at Eastern Mennonite Missions, where the staff offered opportunities for leadership and growth, even inviting me to do administrative overseas travel and provide pastoral care for missionaries. In 1989, I began as Associate General Secretary for the Mennonite Church General Board in Elkhart, Indiana. In 1992, I was ordained for denominational leadership, and in 2000, at age 50, I was called to my first pastorate. In high school and for a year before I went to college, I worked as a plumber's helper. During high school, sometime at Eastern Mennonite High School, the dean of boys said to me one day, Jim, I have no doubt but that someday God's going to call you to be a minister. I took his words pretty lightly at that time. When I graduated from high school, the juniors predicted plumbing would be my life work. (laughs) So in January 1956, I was one day carrying the tools into a house in Harleysville, the plumbing tools, and I thought to myself, 
you know, I don't want to be doing this the rest of my life. And I don't mean that as disparagement to plumbers. It's just my sense that this was not for me. I began college at Eastern Mennonite University that fall and majored in the Bible. Though I was not clear when I went quite what my vocation would be, one experience led to another, and I went on to seminary and had my first pastorate in 1961 while in seminary. And over the years since then, the past 59 years, my sense of ministry has taken different forms, but each of them has been a call in some way with the church. Perhaps a brief word about marriage. I chose singleness for the first 50 years of my life and was content and happy. I poured my life into professional work and I thrived. I loved it. While I dated and had numerous opportunities to marry, I worried that I might not be as happy married as I was single. In 1989, I was called to work as Associate General Secretary with Jim Lapp. He was then general secretary for the Mennonite Church General Board, and he was determined to have a female in that executive position. So I was invited to be the first female in that role. Jim and I worked together for seven years. Jim with no thoughts of romance, right? Well, let me pick up the story briefly. (laughs) I married Nancy Schwarzentruber in 1960 after college. We had three children, they're now married and scattered in three states, and we have seven grandchildren. We lived in Oregon for nine years, where I pastored, and then 14 years in Indiana, where I was a campus minister at Goshen College, and then for a number of years a church denominational executive. Eventually, Nancy finished seminary and was ordained in 1987. In 1995, we moved to Sellersville, Pennsylvania, where I became a conference pastor in the Franconia Conference. Shortly after our move, Nancy became ill and was diagnosed with multiple myeloma. After 38 years of marriage, Nancy died in 1998. Now, ma'am, you pick up the story again. I was content being single, and I never said that I would never marry. In 2000, when I moved from Indiana to pastor at Salford Mennonite Church near Harleysville, someone called me. The Mennonite nun. I was I, I thought that was such an honor to be called Mennonite nun. I was the first female pastor in that historic congregation. And after Nancy's death, Jim and I continued to relate as former colleagues and friends. Somewhere along the way, our relationship changed and a romance began to develop. On December 23, 2000, we were married at Salford, where I was pastor, and the whole congregation was invited. Who could a pastor not invite? Our custodian counted every person and said there were 486 people at our wedding. And here we are, Jim, almost 19 years later. It's been a gift for both of us. Amen. After 10 years of pastoring at Salford, Jim and I then did interim pastorates in Henderson, Nebraska, at nearby Blossom Hill and Zion Mennonite Church in Souderton, and then I did a shorter interim at Souderton Mennonite Church. In 2018, we moved from Harleysville to Landis Homes. After 18 years of Mim living in the community where I grew up, she 
we wanted to move here to this community where now she grew up. So we live in the county where all of her siblings live and many nieces and nephews. I never lived in Lancaster County before, and so I'm learning to know the culture and the life of this community. I've found a network of friends in coming here who seem to age at the same pace as I did. (laughs) People like former roommates Don Sensenig and Glenn Roth, whose life trajectories have an affinity with mine. Though I returned to my roots, I too am learning to know Lancaster County. I have changed, and so have people who have lived here changed. I left Lancaster in 1988 and now returned to grown nieces and nephews who are such a cherished gift in my life. I am cultivating new relationships and adapting to a church climate that has changed in the past 30 years. Getting into relationships with people who have long established networks of friends in this area is sometimes a challenge. We are grateful to be part of a new small group here at East Chestnut Street that provides spiritual and relational support for us. Now in so-called retirement, my prayer has been for wisdom to know what my vocation is at this stage of life. That seems to be coming together for me in some volunteer pastoral visiting that I'm doing at Landis Homes and in offering spiritual direction to a few people. I continue to be challenged in new ways in my life. Through the climate class that's held right now, I find confronting the residual sexism and the latent racism in myself, tempting to write memoirs, and with good health, having time to travel with men that we felt restricted in before while we were both pastoring. My life has been one of risking new opportunities with trust that others had that I had leadership gifts to offer. This past year, I accepted a task that was surprisingly filled with obstacles and opportunities, chairing the search committee for a new president for Anabaptist Mennonite Biblical Seminary. While that search process is finished, I continue as board member of the seminary, and I am now discerning where my gifts are best used. I sense that perhaps there is some call in my life to engage in pastoral care in some form or other. We want to conclude with a quote from Gordon Cosby's book in which he speaks about his view of the church that he pastored. He writes of his church, This community will never be perfect, but isn't it amazing that even now someone chooses to love us just as we are? Why in the world would anyone want to love me just the way I am? He continues, the only thing I can figure out is the Holy Spirit must really be here among us, somehow through no special power of our own. We are letting the Spirit of Christ teach us how to love even when we feel unlovable, and this enables us to enter into the immeasurable (coughs) depths of God's love and to share that experience with others. That's what Cosby writes. So like the woman in Luke 7, who was seized by the power of God's great affection, we sense that desire is in this congregation, and we want to join you on that journey. Like Cosby, we know this is not a perfect church.
but in all our humanness here at East Chestnut Street Mennonite Church. We also perceive the love and power of God is at work, and we look forward to our mutual growth in the months and years to come. Amen. Amen.